You're listening to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. This show was created for entrepreneurs, business owners, marketers, and dreamers who want to learn from the experts of today and drastically shortcut their own success to build a business that supports their dream lifestyle. Since 2011, Tyler Jorgensen has been interviewing business thought leaders from around the world. A serial entrepreneur himself, Tyler also shares his personal insights into what's working in business today. Welcome to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. Welcome out to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. I am your host, Tyler Jorgensen, and today we get to speak with a young CEO and founder, which is always exciting, of a really cool brand called Oza, which makes ready-to-drink cocktails, starting with mimosas, which is pretty neat for people that love their brunches. Ryan Ayot, welcome out to the show. Thanks for having me. So you're young, right? Like yeah, 12 I'm... years old, 15? <laughs> I don't know about that young, but I'm uh, 26. So 26 is young to be launching a successful like cocktail company. Tell us a little bit about why you even decided that you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Sure. So, you know, I never was looking to start my own business. I thought, you know, maybe at some point I would. Both my parents were self-employed. Okay. I ran my own little business as sort of a side hustle in high school and college. So I kind of got a taste of the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, kind of always had that spirit in me. So figured at some point maybe I would start my own business, but didn't know it would be this soon. (laughs) So how did, so how did this, how long ago did you start Oza? Sure. So we launched the brand in June of 2019. So we're just approaching a year. Awesome. I came up with the idea because some friends of mine were trying to mix some mimosas on a boat. For those of you in uh, Southern California may or may not know Cape Cod off of Massachusetts, but that's where it was. And so they were spilling and uh, I thought maybe there's a pre-made one out there that they could get for next time and turned out there wasn't one. And so that kind of got me thinking that, you know, even though I have no beverage background, maybe I could make one myself. And so that was in 2016. Oh, okay. Yep. Didn't do anything with it. Just thinking about it. I was working in finance, but circled back to it in 2018 in the summer when I was seeing all sorts of, you know, there's the seltzer craze, but also all of these great drink cocktails popping up. And uh, I was surprised that there really wasn't a mimosa given how popular of a beverage it is. Right. But I was more so convinced that while, you know, having a pre-made mimosa is great and fun, there really should be a beverage out there that's in between the like healthier hard seltzers that are locale, no sugar, but really no flavor. And then you're <laughs> like hard lemonades and traditional canned cocktails that are flavorful, but super caloric, really sugary, and not all that drinkable. So a mimosa felt like the perfect vessel to do the in-between. So you're not too healthy. I like, I like that. But there is, there is some potassium in there and yeah. uh, you know, your vitamin D and whatnot. But it's basically very similar in calorie count to a hard seltzer, but uh, 30% of the can is filled with juice. So you have cool. much more flavor, yeah. more of a traditional cocktail taste, but with, without the calories. So, so you, you have this idea and like a lot of people, it kind of incubates for a few, you know, a couple years and, and, and you start taking, decide to take it seriously. What was your first step uh, in getting this from idea into a real product? Yeah. So when I really circled back to the idea in the summer of 2018, I spent a lot of time just researching. So I talked to one, just reading a lot, but also reaching out to different 
breweries and wineries and and people in the industry that I could just pick their brain about things and figure out, you know, how it works. And so that's sort of one piece on sort of the logistical end. And the second sure. piece is really talking to people uh, and seeing if it's something that they would even like. You know, I thought it was a good idea, but unless other people do, you might not have a business there. And sure. so I, um, so that combined with uh, more research made me see that there was a market for it. And so spent a few months building a business plan and seeing if it would financially make sense to do it. And then uh, I jumped in on it. So <laughs> cool. How'd you get your very first sale? So other than your like other than family, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's a little interesting with alcohol. So you have to go, you know, we have direct consumer now, but before and with most alcohol, it's through retail. So you have yep. to find distributors to, uh, to yep. work with. And so I basically got some samples made of the liquid that we've had finished, not in final packaging, but I brought it to a few distributors in Massachusetts. Yep. And one of them decided that, well, they all liked it, but one of them decided that they, they had to have it in their portfolio and that they would love cool. to carry it. And so that was when we first got our sale, which was a bit before we launched, which was uh, in May or April of 2019. Cool. So you were able to go into that initial round of production knowing that you had some distributorship already set up. Yeah. Basically, my plan was get the product ready, you know, packaging, formula, everything, and then bring it to distributors. Once someone agrees to take it on, then like we get ready and produce our first batch of it. So we have somewhere to actually sell it. Yeah. So your brand has a very like 80s Orange Julius vibe to it. How'd you come up with the name Oza? And like, you know, what was your, what was going on there? Sure. So the name, there's no real deep meaning to it or anything. But um, if you just kind of slur the word mimosa, you get mimosa. <laughs> and so I took Oza off the end of that. Uh, just sort of like a fun play on it. You know, it ties back yeah, to that works. somehow. And it's a very short, you know, like one quick word to say. So that's where the uh, the name came from. That makes <laughs> a ton of sense, actually. I've uh, I've talked to a couple of my friends late on a Sunday afternoon, and I think I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, bottomless um, brunch goes too far. <laughs> yeah. That makes a ton of sense. And so you've started launching some new flavors. Uh, mm -hmm. Where do you see? Is there any concern that when you created a name Oza Mimosas that like you're pigeonholed and you can't you you know change have new products and things that aren't mimosas? Yeah, sure. So Oza is our name, and so we've got our classic mimosa now. And then we just launched two new flavors that are a classic Bellini and then another mimosa flavor, which is a mango mimosa. And so our pitch for Oza has been that we're like the champagne cocktail producer. So most of those would fall under mimosas. And so cool. we've got classic mimosa, mango mimosa, the Bellini is, you know, champagne and uh, peach. Um, then we'll kind of add some product extensions um, from there, cool. but all sort of in the same family. So there's a big enough, there's, it's a big enough catalog, a big enough family that you're not worried about that. You've got a lot of room to grow there. To me, I think there is. We've got a, we've got a, so. a, a plan for, you know, 10 or 12 products in, uh, in, a, in a year or two. So we'll see. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So you're really new in the process in terms of like from the big picture, right? Mm -hmm. You've taken from idea, you know, how's distribution going? You know, where, how many states? Like give us some fun stats of kind of your growth in this first year. Sure. So our strategy has been to start with a relatively small footprint and go deep. And so when we launched, we launched in Massachusetts, uh, and now we're in most of New England. 
We're in over a, over a thousand retailers regionally. We're in Whole Foods and it's selling well, which is great. Um, and then we Very also cool. recently launched with, with great timing with COVID, um, our direct consumer business. So that launched just at the end of March. And so we're, we're really like less than two months in, but it's been really awesome. We're able to ship to 46 states with fast shipping and, um, you know, people can get the new flavors and everything. And so we can cool. really reach a much broader audience than our, our retail footprint, which is great. Now, direct-to-consumer has a little bit of a different different obstacles, right? You're shipping one or two cases. You're dealing with different types of customer service than when you're shipping pallet loads to distributors. Yeah. What had to change within your business in order for that to be successful? Sure. So adding on top of that too, you have all of the legal restrictions with alcohol. Right. Them too. Yeah. So Basically, what we had to do is because we were shipping pallets at a time to distributors, and it's one price they pay, and it's easy to get easy to do. And um, now, uh, you know, we're shipping people by a case at a time or so. And so, what we do is one, we had to make sure we had a much better website and system for or online yep. ordering. Two is that we had to outsource the fulfillment to be able to have all the the licenses we needed and to keep yep. up with the growth that we were expecting, you know, I, as much as I would love to fulfill orders myself or, or hire someone, um, one, the legal restrictions wouldn't allow us to do it this fast of a turnaround. And two is, uh, I'd rather us focus on marketing and growing the brand online. Sure. So that was big. And then there's also a lot of customer service involved. So answering lots of emails and trying to answer live chats on the website and things like that. So absolutely. It can, with direct consumer, especially when a lot of times people are coming to your website through social media, your service is amplified. So you got to make sure you're really doing uh, the best you can. Absolutely. Yeah. One, yeah. One mistake can send a ripple quite a, quite a yes. far way. Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes a ton of sense. So, you know, you're, again, you're a year into it. What was the biggest challenge that you've had so far in this first year and how'd you overcome that? Sure. I mean, we've, we've definitely had our fair share of uh, unexpected delays and issues and things like that. You know, I think one hard thing for us is um, this balance of inventory management. It's a perishable item. And so if you make too much and it's, it's too long, you got to get rid of it. If you don't have enough and you can't fulfill orders and you're losing on revenue. Yep. And uh, not to mention that we have everything outsourced. So we don't have our own warehouses or uh, production facilities. So managing all of that can be hard, especially when you're brand new and you don't truly know what the demand is going to be. But luckily, we have uh, come away with uh, a pretty good grasp of sales and um, have only run out a couple of times and for relatively short periods of time. So we're learning as we go, but that's probably the biggest obstacle so far. Just that supply chain management projections, that sort of thing. What's your yep. advice to somebody who's getting into anything type, anything related to manufacturing on how to deal with that as a startup? Yeah. So I think uh, one really important lesson I learned is that cash is king. <laughs> so never produce too much inventory. It's, it's better to go out of stock for a little bit than uh, to be sitting on way too much. Yep. You'll find that uh, especially early on when we were just going through retail, you know, you're much more at the mercy of distributors and retailers and you can't just like crank up your advertising spend on social media and get immediate right. sales online. And so I think that's a very important thing is always be cautious with your inventory early on. The worst thing you can do is have all your money sitting in a warehouse. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It doesn't, uh, especially in times like this, you don't want to be inventory rich, right? You gotta, you gotta Definitely. be able to move product and, and have cash. 
so far, like, I mean, you've done some really smart things. I think it's really smart how you started in a local geographic footprint and really with the idea of going deep before you went wide. Mm -hmm. What are your goals though now as you reach this first year milestone and you move into that, you know, longer term growth? What are some of your next big steps? Sure. So the next big steps for us are one, to continue our product portfolio expansion. So additional SKUs for cans. We did sort of, I'd say soft launch now because of COVID, but we launched Mimosa and kegs, which is pretty awesome. So expanding that and sort of our on-premise footprint. And then two is geographic expansion as well. So uh, I think we'll be coming to uh, California area relatively soon. So very cool. So really being strategic about where we add retail in the U.S. So those are very smart. What has been the most fun part of, uh, of running a company like this? Well, one is it just a fun product. I mean, people when they're having booze are having fun. And uh, I think mimosas especially is just a you know fun daytime event product. And uh, I've been really thrilled. One of my favorite things to do is doing our like sampling events and demo events and festivals. And like really seeing people's reactions to the product when they try it. Our overwhelming feedback is people love it, which is great. And so it's really like invigorating to see that people like it and uh, are trying a sampling thing and they go back and buy it and they follow us on Instagram and you can see their orders coming in. And it's just, it's really cool to see. That's awesome. Yeah. I think I like how you mentioned that it's a daytime thing, right? It's, it's a different vibe, right? Than, yeah. uh, than some of the other beverages out there that are like nighttime, like they might play a mystique role. You're just yeah. like <laughs> good times with buddies, you know, yeah, playing, exactly. playing cornhole or throwing die, you know, it's, it's a totally yeah. different energy, which is pretty neat. Yeah, and it's just such a fun, it's such a fun industry generally to be in versus, you know, if you're making medical supplies or whatever it might be, you know, it's a very fun place to be. Yeah, I'm sure as, you know, a 26-year-old, a lot of your buddies are like, and you left finance to start a booze company, right? Like a lot of your yeah. buddies are probably pretty <laughs> envious of it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. get any pushback from like family or friends as you decided to take this step? No, I think they were all very supportive of me right from the beginning. I think, um, you know, I, I was strategic with my plan and, um, you know, I was working on this just nights and weekends up until we were ready to sell the product. So, you know, I was kind of hedging my bets there and still taking income from my full-time job. Smart. And so going about it that way, I think was, was great. And it also helps that, you know, both of my parents were self-employed in the past. And so they kind of got a bit of it and, um, yeah, no, that's, I I, that's a big shift. Like if, you know, they, they don't, if you have parents or a support group who has never done that, right. It, to yeah. them, it's crazy and it's a big risk, but yeah. not only that, but you actually did it in a low risk style of keeping your day job for the first little while and not just diving yeah, in ignorantly about it. Is that a little bit of like your finance background of being very prudent, knowing the numbers? Do you think that led to that? Yeah, I think it did. And I think, um, part of it is that, I was totally fine with working at night and on the weekends for nine or 10 months on it. And, uh, you know, really wanting to have the last thing I wanted to do was jump into it, not be able to sell product for 10 months and then not have budgeted my own savings appropriately to do it. And so I knew that I could balance both of those things at the same time. And so it seemed like no reason not to. And then once the product was ready to sell, you know, then I, quit and went full time and really gave it my all to make sure that we could 
do everything we could. So very smart balance, you know, <laughs> as someone who's been an entrepreneur pretty much my whole life, a lot of times I see friends want to take that jump into entrepreneurship. And a lot of times they'll do it a little bit too premature. They're like, Hey, I quit my job. I'm like, well, cool. Like what's going on? Like, I don't know. I'm going to figure it out. I'm like, I think maybe you should have like done the way you did, which is really smart. Hey, get, get some momentum, get some things rolling, figure it out, run the numbers, then make yep. a job. Now, if you just hated your job, make, do whatever you got to do. But, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, it's a different, you know, that's life. Now, one thing that you do, uh, that is pretty unique and I get, you know, it's happening more and more, the concept of ethical entrepreneurship or social entrepreneurship is that you guys donate a portion of sales to United Way. Yep. Why? And why'd you choose them? Sure. So this was actually, I should say, you know, we like to think we're good, but we're not that good. It hasn't been a year round thing all the time. That was sort of in response to the COVID stuff. And cool. so you, United Way in Massachusetts has a great fund set up where they help hourly employees and families in need with food and whatever they might need. And so, you know, we're also a small business too that's just trying to struggle through things. And so we, we thought was the best way to help ourselves, help others, and, and let our customers feel good is by donating to United Way from when we started doing it in April till, uh, we may just keep it rolling because people... The feedback seems to be great and we're happy to be giving back. And so, yeah, we just continue to do it. So we, we basically bring $3 for every online order to United Way, which is great. And we've, I, I absolutely love how much you've stayed true to this. Like we're good, but we're not that good because I, <laughs> well, we have I, to make I, the I, money too. So, <laughs> but I genuinely, like, I really truly mean it. Too many companies think like they have to be angels right? Mm-hmm. They have to be perfect and they have to do like, we're not, we're not here to make money. It's like, it's okay. Like you can make money. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's cool that along the way you're also helping people and it's cool. Right. It's okay. Like, Hey, you want to not be bad for someone, but it's also okay to not like have to be a health drink. Right. So I just love that exactly. you have this cool equilibrium, this balance. I think it's very healthy. Yeah. To me, the whole business is about striking the balance of everything. And so yeah. it, United Way piece has been a great way to give back help ourselves with our own sales and have customers feel good about it too. And they get buzzed on too by donating. So (laughs) yeah, I love that. Yeah. And so that, and that makes sense why you picked them. They're strong locally from where you're at and and doing really neat things. What is some of your advice to other people who are are just wanting to get started as an entrepreneur, just kind of broader, not necessarily manufacturing or that sort of thing? So I think the couple of lessons that I learned were one is you definitely don't need to have it all figured out before you jump into something. It's good to do your research, make sure there's a market for it. But I think once you're convinced that this has to be an idea that I explore and that if if I don't do it, I'll always wonder if I should have, you just go for it. I'm still learning stuff every day and I don't have nearly all of it figured out. And uh, but I think that's part of the whole journey is is figuring it out as you go. So I think that's an important piece. And then I think, think the other piece too is that, you know, a lot of people, you know, everyone has different situations, but think that it's very risky to jump into something. But as long as you're doing it in the most cautious way you can, you know, the worst that can happen in my mind is that, you know, the company fails, but you gained a tremendous amount of experience and you're probably better off for it anyways. So that's the way yeah, I've looked at it. Oh, it the- it's always, it's always fascinating to me. People will drop a hundred thousand dollars for an, a post-grad degree um, mm-hmm. and spend tons of money on things that have very little chance of providing a strong ROI, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't consider that a risk because they get a diploma at the end, right? There's yeah. no risk there. It, and I'm like, well, yeah. but really you're risking two years of your time or four years of your time about college and 
you're risking all of that cash in the hopes that it's going to further your career. Like if you're talking about your life and like an idea that you have to me, the risk of not doing that. And I mean, it took you a couple of years to finally get the ball rolling, but like, could you imagine another five years? You were still just thinking, Oh, I had this cool idea about exactly. mimosas. Like that's a risk to me that like, what if is the risk? Yep. And that's probably why I'm an entrepreneur. Right. But exactly. Uh, exactly. And my thought and has I, been, you know, yeah. worst case, you know, I'm 26. I, lost out on probably some better salary that I could have been making in finance. But worst case is uh, I, you know, got a lot of experience and I can make up for it, you know, over however many years I got left working. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and so what, you know, you're a, you're, you're a finance guy an entrepreneur business owner, and you've talked about that, like know your numbers and know mm-hmm. what has, what it has to happen in order to make sense is uh, you know, what, Candidly, a lot of entrepreneurs I know don't have a finance background, and so they really struggle on this piece. Is there kind of some basic finance advice that you can give people? I mean, you sure. you guys have you guys have raised some cash, right? Like you're yep. not just self funded. Maybe talk on that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So I think um, you know, at the very basic level, I think what you have to do early on is one, make sure that the product it doesn't have to be profitable right out the out of the gates, but know that it can become profitable. And so just figuring out those like initial unit economics of like, I can make it for this, I can sell it for this, and then we can actually make a profit, even if it's not now, but if we can get to a price or get our cost down over the next year, then that makes sense. I think that's very important is figuring out what your unit economics are. And then I think if you don't have a background in accounting or something like that, either taking some of the basic courses about QuickBooks or finding someone who's a bookkeeper or something that can do it for you and at least set it up early on to make sure you've got things right. Yeah. And that's part of your early thing of don't do it alone, right? You don't have to figure this all out by yourself. Yeah, exactly. If that's not your expertise, you bring in people that that know how to do it and you can find, it doesn't have to be the perfect person or, you know, a CFO that's been, has 30 years experience to do it. You, You find the person that works for right now and and maybe you upgrade that person as bad as it sounds uh, you know in a year or two when yeah. you have more money and and you you want something and you, your business is larger or whatever so yeah i have a i have a friend whose company grew really really quickly and they basically said they had to they had to upgrade using your words but had to <laughs> had to basically cycle through their executive team three times in less than 3 years and it wasn't that the people weren't good they were good at the level that they yeah. hired them into but they were growing so fast, they had to continue to evolve. Some of those people stayed on and changed roles. Some of them yeah. moved on to a better fit. And so, yeah, it makes tons of sense. It does not, don't, I, I love your general concept. Like it doesn't have to all be perfect, but you got to be moving, right? You got to be making the yeah, right exactly. steps. Yeah. So, I mean, really cool company, really like neat branding. You've got, you know, you got merch on your site. People can check out uh, ozamimosas.com. Um, discount by using uh, your name Tyler fifteen to get fifteen uh, percent off their off their order. <laughs> awesome, Tyler fifteen. We'll put that out there. We'll also put it in links and all that stuff on the show notes. Cool. What? Uh, so I always ask people this: business is about building a lifestyle. You know, the business is fun. Entrepreneurs sometimes though they get caught up in just the business goals. What is mm-hmm. one of Ryan's personal bucket list goals that you're going to accomplish in the next twelve months? Sure, uh, that's. That is a tough one. I mean, I've been pretty heads down on this, but I think for me, you know, I would love to really be able to iron out my schedule to be more structured. You know, right now, it's uh, and this seems like a minor goal to have over the next twelve months, but 
you know, right now, you know, I'm working from like 7 a.m. to it could be midnight or one or whatever and seven days a week, but really creating that structure of like, okay, I've got to block off an hour to work out. You know, I've got two hours to have dinner and relax and watch TV is, is really important. And I've been trying to improve that each day. But I think that's one goal for me that I think I can achieve over the next 12 months, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'm confident you can if you commit to it. it. As an entrepreneur who's been around a long time, it's I see that a lot, right? So there's that cycle of, okay, other things are going to sacrifice while I go all in on the business, but it's a pendulum and it can only swing for so to one direction for so long. And then what often happens is you swing back and then you, your attention to the business struggles while you try to get your health back or you try to get other things huh. back. So just some personal brother to brother on yeah encouragement just be kind of good man yeah yeah <laughs> just, just don't be too bad at that balance right yeah just get yeah. that pendulum swing in the other way you know but uh really enjoy chatting with you it's been great to get to know your company and you a little bit any final words for our listeners out there about your brand or entrepreneurship oh i think we covered everything i mean um check out our, our website obviously if you're interested in some refreshing mimosas but um but no, otherwise, in terms of entrepreneurship, just uh, you know, go with your gut and uh, know that you don't have to have it all figured out right away. I love it. Thank you, Ryan, for coming on the show. My Biz Ninjas and listeners all over the world, it's your turn to go out and do something. Thank you for tuning in to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. What you didn't hear was one more very important question that Tyler asks each guest. If you want to be a fly on the wall when the real secrets are shared, go to bizninja.com slash VIP and get your access today. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And our one last favor, if this episode was meaningful to you, please share this podcast with a fellow entrepreneur so they can grow along with us. Biz Ninjas, it's your turn to go out and do something.